Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno. And direct from New Jersey, Metal Waltz. Good evening, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well and safe and sound. As always, Thursday night's new episodes drop. This week's show is an interview double dip. We're speaking with both Robin McCauley and Graham Bonnet. Both these gentlemen are alumni of the Michael Schenker metal family tree. Well, Robin released a brand new solo album today entitled Alive. And Graham finished up a holiday season tour of the UK with a solo band and the Dead Daisies. That's coming up in just a second, and I'll be having Metal Walt from New Jersey on with me. But first, got some exciting news. We have a winner for our Metallica Name the Riff contest that we've been running the last couple weeks. If you're new to the show or don't recall, two weeks ago we had a special Metallica Raven Kill 'em All for One show. The two bands got together again and played a benefit show down in Florida for the Johnny Zazula Foundation. And we had John Gallagher on the show telling about how that came about. And we also had Andrew Robleski on the show. Now, Andrew is a friend of the show. He is a Rochester native. And as a 21-year-old, he was second chair engineer when Metallica came up to Rochester to record Kill 'Em All. Well, Andrew um, unearthed some old Metallica outtakes from that Kill 'Em All session, and one of them was a riff that Kirk Hammett was jamming. And so we ran a contest, and it was Name the Riff. And we have a winner. The winner is he goes by the name of Danaz Boz from the Netherlands. Well, Danaz. Congratulations, you win yourself a one-of-a-kind photo from Andrew's vault from the Kill 'Em All sessions of Kirk Hammett. No one has ever seen these pictures. It's one-of-a-kind. You get yourself a pick from that show down at the Hard Rock in November, and you get yourself a kick-ass Metal Mayhem ROC shirt that you can wear around the streets of the Netherlands or whatever town you live in. So congratulations, and it's sort of a fun tie-in because the riff that Denaz named, Kirk Hammett was riffing a Michael Schenker, the riff from Armed and Ready. So it all comes full circle tonight, gang. So again, get up to our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Get alerts on new shows, uh, alerts on our Monday night radio show. And when we run contests like this, you could be entered. So that's a mouthful. Let me get my co-host from New Jersey, Metal Walt, on. Metal Walt, what do you think about this uh, double dip episode show we have tonight? Yes, this is a special. It's like going to the movies and getting a two-for-one ticket. It's uh, amazing, right? And uh, it was just pure coincidence 
that we were able to secure these artists for discussions on consecutive days. What was great is, as Vern said, one is out promoting a new album. The other one was a much more sort of uh, sitting on his couch, just shooting the bull about uh, the tour. His wife, Bethany, came on. We were just talking rock and life and all kinds of good stuff. But the great tie-in here is they're both linked to Michael Schenker. And it was right. It was really, really good. And you're going to hear some of this, how they were on that Michael Schenker Fest tour together back in uh, four or five years ago. Both are Southern California natives. Um, just really, really interesting stuff and great, great guys. So enjoy tonight's episode and keep your eye on the next month to come. We got a lot of good stuff coming. Okay, well, well, you know what? Let's get into this. For my co-host, Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Today, we're talking with veteran rock and roll vocalist Robin McCauley, best known as the co-collaborator of the McCauley-Schenker Group, as well as front in the band Black Swan. But today, he's here to discuss his forthcoming solo album, Alive. Robin, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Metal Walt, from the metal capital of the East Coast, New Jersey. How you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me. Robin, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Happy belated New Year. And uh, congratulations on the new release, Alive. It is a totally kick-ass release. Um, We're going to cover a lot of that today. But before we get into that, I got to ask you a question. I was looking at your Facebook page, and I saw you posted some pictures this week from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Are you, like, hanging in, like, some beach cabin right now with a drink in your hand or something? You know, I'd like to say yes. I'm actually hanging at home. I'm back in sunny California, rainy California. You know, I'm part of uh, uh, a lot of different stuff, and sometimes we do private corporate shows. Um, uh, and so we ended up in Puerto Vallarta on uh, on uh, Monday, and we did the show Tuesday, and I was back for very late. To uh, sorry, Monday to back late late Wednesday night, I got back home and got back into it yesterday morning, and and here we are. I got to tell you, you are quite the global guy. I mean, you've been at it for five decades. You're obviously of Irish descent. You know, you kind of were raised in the UK and then you got that big gig with Schenker in Germany. You know, you're in the States, California. You got shows in Vegas. Your band is Italian. Like, you're like the global guy all the way around. So, like, talk about this band on this album. Yeah, same, same guys as I used on the on the last solo on Standing on the Edge. Um, Absolutely amazing young guitar player, Andrew Cerveso, that I, I, I just adore this guy. I love his tone. I love his melodies. He just delivers it every time. Going into this record, we thought we would we would take it up a notch, give it a little bit more edge, and boy, does he give it a little more edge. But he keeps that he keeps that melody, he keeps that format that I love. Drummer Nicholas Papapico, slamming it, absolutely. <laughs> the thunder down under, you know? Yeah. And uh um of course, uh, producer, co-writer, um, bass player, keyboard player, and now brand new dad for 2023, Andrea Cerveso, who is the you know the Frontiers guy that does about just everything for Frontiers. Um, what I particularly like uh, working with Alessandro is he makes my records as conceited as this may sound. He makes my records sound 
like me. He makes it sound different than the other Frontiers records. Um, the production is a model production. We don't write songs like... I, don't, I know this sounds bad, but we don't write songs like the other guys do. You know, it still falls into the classic rock, which is which is what they like. But it's got a little modern twist to it, which I particularly like. And they send me a bucket load of songs. I pick 12 songs out of that. I'm going, I'm going to work on this 12. I write all the lyrics. I write all the melodies. I send it back and... I haven't had a complaint so far, thank God, because I'm not sure what else I would do with that. <laughs> don't change that. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'll tell you, Robin, though, you are so right. It's uh, You took the words out of my mouth. I spun this album about three or four times this week when I go out for my daily exercise, and it's it contains everything that's recognizable with you and everything to love about you. It's got the the signature guitar, the recognizable vocals of you, the big harmonies, the melodies, just it's it's got everything. So I, I think what actually did you set out to accomplish? Let's say on this release versus standing on the on the edge, the twenty twenty one release. You know, nothing more than than twelve good songs with good melodies. I I just I don't know how to write a song without a good melody. I mean, you know, it's not about me 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 me, but they give me the music. I have no idea what I'm going to come back with. You know, it could be just tripe. And maybe it is tripe to some people. I don't, I don't know. But when I get to work, um, I, I I dig in. I try to get the best melody for the chord structure that lands on my laptop. And and I have a blast doing it. I love working with it. I, I still have so much fun doing it. And topically, lyrically, I I have so much stuff. The media gives me so much information. I don't have the book of words, as I tell everybody, under my desk. You know, I just I just pluck from something I hear today in the moment writing that song. I do it. I move to the next one, and then people will go, dude, what was that about? And I'm going, um, um, uh, which one? <laughs> you know? Sure, Robin, before uh, Walt takes a deep dive into some of the music, you mentioned concept. Let's discuss the the cover of the album. Cool album cover appears to be a guy behind some sort of control panel. Uh, what's right. all behind the album cover? Uh, okay, so so I had written uh, I had written the melodies and the lyrics to Alive pretty early on, and um, the label said, "Hey, do you have any ideas for the cover?" And I refused to put myself on the cover of a record. You know, they go, "Why don't you put a photo of yourself?" I go, "Hell no." I'm not doing that. Not on the front and not on the back. Maybe on the inside, but not on the front or the back. So I love artwork. I love artwork. And mm. I have a great artist that they give me, Nello Del Olmo, who worked on Standing on the Edge. He ran with my concept, which perfectly fitted for the whole pandemic thing, which that was my old thing, um, how I came up with that artwork. This one, when I had written the lyrics to Alive, I felt that it needed to be... Um, Something of a Frankenstein type movie. So alive, what's alive? So I wanted to feel that power charge coming into myself, into the music. And so I went, okay, what do we do for the cover? Um, and I thought we wanted to create an old Frankenstein type laboratory, right? So you have the desk, you have the, you have the incubator right there. We moved it around a little bit because there was no incubator in the Frankenstein and stuff, but 
There's a lot of stuff going on that's very topical, right? Oops. That involves incubators without the babies, okay? So I thought we'll create that, put the hands in there from Dr. Frankenstein or whoever it is in the mm-hmm. background, and we use two microphones as the electrodes and create this power charge and, and bring everything that's in there to light. And that's how we created the first video with the power lights. As soon as we hit that chorus, we, we went, you know, you can throw the kitchen sink at me here. Uh, but we are very resilient. We will work our way through this and we will, we will be much more powerful at the end of it. So the concept was very based around old Frankenstein, old Hollywood kind of stuff. Um, and I kind of structured all the lyrics for the rest of the record around that sort of positive storyline type of direction, ducking and diving in between. But at the end, at the end, we will hit the light at the end of the tunnel. And it sounds a little cheesy, but that's kind of the concept of it. You know what, Robin, I, I will agree with you because, uh, like I said, one of the fun parts about being like John and I is we get to get the records in advance. We get right. to sink our teeth into them. And then, like, a guy like me, what I like to do is I like to write out my notes. So track <laughs> one, track four, track five. What's that about? What's, the, you know, what's different? What's the flow of the record? Yeah. And you're you're kind of, you're beating me to all my questions. But the, the cool part of it is there is a flow to the record. You know what? You hit you hit us in the face with a one, two, three punch. I, I I turned it on. It's like one. Oh wow, that's kicking my ass. Oh, two. Oh shit, man, that's even bigger kicking my ass. Out. Holy three, what that's fucking awesome, number three. Then it slows down. Then the ballad comes in. Then there's these songs in the middle that have like this atmosphere. And then you kind of go back to the rockers at the end. But I yeah. think when I listen to your lyrics, I interpreted that there's that common theme in all of the songs, the messages, where it's sort of the ups and downs of the human fragile condition yet at the end that hope and optimism still prevails right yeah so it has to it has to yep i mean it has to because that's what we do i mean what are we going to do we're going to roll over and die i don't think so we'll die when it's time to die and we'll die when you know it you know it, it the ass can drop out of the barrel at any time you know you know it's uh you just don't know you never know the hour <laughs> or the day. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's not sort of rocket science. I just want yeah. people to listen to it, enjoy the melody and go, that's cool. Or that's not cool. It's not my kind. And then you, do, then you shouldn't be listening, you know? Um, and this, you know, post pandemic, there's so much, we're in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of stuff going on. I don't know why, but there's a lot of people in a bad place. Uh, we seem very, very angry, and so there's there's a lot of that sort of mixtures in there. Endless Mile, I thought, would be a single, and and really that just sort of came to me because I was watching all of these people marching out of Ukraine going to Poland. Does everybody write about it? The media certainly does. And I went, I don't want to harp on this. I, I don't want to take a political stance, but I'll write a song that kind of touches on this. But it's not just about that. It's where we're all at. We all take that road to nowhere and we're all trying to find a path you know of least resistance and and something positive at the end because life is that kind of a journey isn't it it's like it's full of shit and ups and downs and that's right that's reality is life tomorrow is not so good you know um but but again what do you do you know i i come from a very large family and i know that my mom she just she was the battalion chief you know she she got through stuff. You go, how the hell did they do that? You know, 
and, and 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 fast forward here we are in modern times and we have much more technology at our our, our fingertips that they didn't have they got through it they got through it and we're we're going oh i don't know how i'm going to do this <laughs> right my 85 year old father he always says his one of his cliche lines is with age comes wisdom you might be smart but you're not wise you're so not when wise. your 18 year old thinks he's smart he's not wise i'm 52 i'm wise but i'm not as wise as my 85 year old father and that's how the cycle of life goes right and there it is amen to that amen to that so hey robin a couple of the tracks we want to get into our favorites right so we, you talked about the opening track alive that one's got a killer video you know just to paint some picture you know you got that soft piano it really builds and then it kicks in high gear you know you use the words alive survive you know i will never sell my soul i don't belong to the dark i've been to hell and back totally killer then your <laughs> second track dead as a bone killer song title you know it's a dark <laughs> song but it's got a great yeah. pace to it <laughs> And it sounds like a story about a loved one that maybe is hitting rock bottom. That lyric, every night she weeps because you know she can't sleep when you live on the streets. Yeah. Talk about the title opening track, that video, and Dead as a Bone. Yeah. So, um, again, I use a lot of stuff that comes at me topically. You know, um, post-pandemic, there's so much trouble. There's, people are People are weird. People are very aggressive towards each other. And I just wanted Alive to be something like, you know what? Again, throw the kitchen sink at me. We will come through this. You know, I used the, the shopping malls and stuff because there was so many shootings in the shopping malls. There was so much stuff. And, and I just started, I have two two boys, right? And I'm thinking, shoot, is it not safe for them to even go out? And these guys are like six foot three, right? They can take care of business. But it's not enough anymore because... Somebody wants to take something somewhere from you, from everybody. And it was basically, you know, again, we can't roll over and die. We will have to come through this. And in the video, when I hit those lights, it's it's just, it's the energy of like, stay with me, people. You know, <laughs> don't give up on this. We can come through this. Dead as a Bone really came about because we just had the midterm elections and I'm going to go down a, a rabbit hole here. And of course, El Play is like the rest of the country is rife with homelessness. It's rife with homelessness. They're everywhere. And then I'm thinking, look at this Weller. Look at this, this, and this, and this. Where would you go? And then I started thinking, all of those people, they're all, a, they have a mother. Somebody is, they have a mother's son, a mother's daughter, a cat or a dog. And I just started thinking, how would a mom feel? I did my best. And look, there's my son. There's my daughter out on the street. And that's what it was. And so every night she weeps. She's thinking, where's my son? What did I do wrong? And that's really what I was contemplating. And I'm thinking, what a horrible, dark place to be. And you do everything. And, you know, dead as a bowl is basically, you know, that's, that's what the end result is, unfortunately. What happens to a homeless person? Does anybody know? I've, I've never actually... I'm going to research it even more. What happens to a homeless person when a homeless person dies? How would they die? Where would they die? Do they die at the bottom of a ditch, on the sidewalk, down a gully, down a wash? What happens to them? Who comes and gets them? And where do they go from there? And how do they? How are they sent off into? And you know, do they have the same send off as we do? And that's really it. I went into a dark place with, and I went, man, you know, what if I was homeless? 
You know, it's, it's places a lot of people don't want to go, but it's it's there in your face. You I know? agree. I agree. The, the, the track, Bless Me Father, it's a perfect segue into this. Right. When the day ends, it doesn't matter how much hoo-ha is in your life, whether it's a peaceful, whether it's hectic. At the end of everybody's day, you will put your head down on that pillow, if you're lucky enough to have a pillow. You'll put your head on that pillow, and if you have any sort of heart and soul, something will go through your mind. And it's basically about, I put my head on the pillow and thinking, ah, man, that was a, that, that day was kind of fucked up. And I wasn't supposed to do that, and I wasn't supposed to do this. And, and then you start saying, I'll never do that again. So you're kind of asking for forgiveness, and you're pondering, and you're going, I don't let myself to even do that. That's not what I do. That's not who I am. And so you're having this conversation with your maker going, I promise I will never do this again. Of course, you wake up the next morning, you've had someone, you, at some point you fell asleep. Now you're different in the morning, you have a cup of joe, you're out the door and you're going, ah, shit, I just did the same thing again. <laughs> and so the, it's this never-ending battle of, of asking for forgiveness. Tell me somebody who is not always asking for forgiveness. We're always sorry for something, you know, and... And we try not to go down the wrong avenue. We try. We try it. But, you know, let those who have not sinned cast the first stone. Is that what it says? Is that what the good, the good Bible says? Um, but we do. And we, we, are, we are prone to repeat, step and repeat. And then we go, I'm sorry. Dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and that's really what that was about. It's like, I, I, I'm sorry. You know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, you know. <laughs> Well, musically on the song, it kicks ass. It does. It <laughs> you know, anyway, then, then I take it on a little journey. <laughs> well, well, it's good. These are your thoughts. This is your art, and it's yep. refreshing to hear. You know yep. how you created it. So, again, you can tell a story with a very strong melody, uh, and still get the story across, and that's part of the game that I like to play. Well, uh, there's a couple other tracks you uh, have some notes on. What do you got over there? So, uh, feel like hell. I think this is the yin to the yang to bless me, father. Cause it seems like, you know, I watched the video today and there's like, you know, I feel like, you know, I just saw it pop up and it's like, you know, you're, you're running away from yourself as the yes. other figure. That's exactly I'm thinking, what this is like, you know, maybe somebody saying, Hey, I, I got my own demons, my own vices. I hate being me yes. and I want to get out of it. Right. Did I have that right? Yes, you absolutely have it right. It's, 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 um, you know, it's your alter ego. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, listen to your gut and then your gut starts telling you everything that's not good for you. And, you know, follow your gut and you're, you got it wrong every time. So you're having this constant battle, constant battle all the time. And, and I think life is like that. I think there's, there, we, we strive to do better all the time. But, and so we pick a street in Hollywood and we keep running. We never actually get away, <laughs> which was cool about the video was we shot it. Between the hours of, I think, seven and midnight, uh, it was really cold. Um, but we had ready made props. We, you couldn't, you couldn't ask for ambulances to pass your shot right at that moment. We geared it so well. We had so many fire engines and dogs and alleys and side alleys and stuff that you don't need to see in Hollywood. And it was all there for us. Some, some we didn't use, some we didn't. <laughs> And, and we planned it that way. And, and the lighting couldn't be more perfect. And of course, 
the the video director was just right on the money. He was he was right behind me, and he just he captured his. It's 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 cinematic. I mean, he was behind me with one camera, and he nailed it every single time. He could see the light, he could see the shadows, he knew what to do with it, and and that's really what makes the whole thing tie in together. You know, somebody was saying today, dude. You know, we don't have the budgets like we used to have back when. And I went, neither did the the, uh, the Blair Witch Project. You know, they did this mm-hmm. massive, massive movie for what, 20 grand? And floored Hollywood. They're going, ha, ha, you don't need that huge budget. Well, we did this. I don't know what our, what our shoestring was, but we made it look like a mini movie. And he did a fantastic job with it. And Enzo, Enzo Bazeo, uh, Nazio is the production director and owns a production company, and he's also the photographer. Good stuff. I'm happy. I'm happy. And the message came across. You got it exactly right. What it was. Great. Yep. So, Robin, we have one more comment about the new album, then we have a few things about your past, and then we're going to let you go. So, our two favorite songs in the album are in the middle, The Endless Mile and fading away because these ones they hit that sweet spot they have you know those unique tones the guitar work a lot of texture and they're really melodic and uplifting and you get showcased on these songs so in general you know you've been singing for four or five decades your chops are great how do you keep it all up after all these years um i take i really take good care of myself i really do um you know my wife's a nurse uh, i think that helps She's always on my case. Um, I love walking. I love fresh air. I don't, I don't, I've never smoked in my life. Um, I do enjoy, I enjoy a glass of wine, but I never drink when I'm working. I don't know. That works for me. Maybe not for other people. Now it works for me. I try to stay healthy. If I'm in a, 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 an area that's not looking too good, I'll, you know, I was wearing, I was wearing face coverings long before pandemic because I would never take a flight without covering up because I don't need somebody to be sneezing at the back of my neck from the seat behind him mm. or, or coughing on top of me sitting beside me. I don't, I don't need it. And as a singer, I have a responsibility when I get to the show, somebody goes, oh, dude, you suck. You know, prima donna singers, you know, it's always about me, 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 me. And the show has always been single most important. I love the show. I love the performance. And you have to be, you have to be on your game to do it. So, that's all I do. I, I, I try to stay well and stay ahead of the, the cold and the flu. It doesn't always work, but I don't get sick very often. Um, and that's maybe why I don't know. Power only vitamins, man. Large and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, subscribing to a substance-free lifestyle and concentrating on exercise, that's a great recipe for long-term health. I but- love a glass of wine and I love a bottle of bourbon. Uh, not together, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sometimes, well. sometimes together, um, but uh, yeah, it's not something you can do all the time. You know, there's a time and a place, and then when the time is right, I'll 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 go for it. And if you're around, you know that I go for it. But ordinarily speaking, um, it's not my lifestyle. Uh, Robin, uh, yesterday actually, we had Graham Bonnet and his wife Beth well, on the show. They said to yeah. say hello. They send you oh praises. They said you're a great storyteller and a funny guy. Oh my God, I love you guys. We were talking a little bit about the Shanker Fests from a couple years ago. So uh, quickly talk about that, and then we want to let you end this. But we wanted to talk about the whole rating of the Rock Vault experience in Vegas. 
And if you're still doing that, what songs you sing and kind of how that whole thing is. So talk about uh, those two topics. Yeah, so so Schenkerfest. Schenkerfest basically was uh, Mikan's, it's always Mikan's idea. It was Mikan's idea. And, and uh, I I basically got a call from, from his management people. And they said, hey, Michael wants to put a show together that consists of all of the singers. Initially, Doogie White wasn't there, which was just... Uh, 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 Gary, who started the whole thing with Michael, then it was Graham through the assault attack period, and myself from the Macaulay Schenker period, and I w- I didn't even breathe. I th- I just went, of course, this is the best idea ever, best idea because on my period, just with Michael, I would sing those songs, I would sing those other guys' songs, and I I thought, oh my god, now we're going to be up there together singing it. I went, what? This is great, huge, huge Gary fan. Huge grand fan. Of course, we'd met several times over the years, but now we would end up on the same stage. And as we started to do it, Michael decided that there was too much from the Temple Brock period that needed to be covered, not to bring Doogie in. In comes Doogie. Now we're, there were four. We had three hours set sometimes. Um, sometimes it would run over three hours. Um, and we went through, oh my God, we would each. We would each sing maybe eight or nine songs each. And then we would also go back out and support each other with backing vocals and everything like that. And we had a blast. And we all thought, oh, my God, who's going to sit through three hours of this, right? And and to be fair, we as singers, we got to leave the stage after our set was done, even though we came back on spots for other harmonies. Those guys never got to leave the stage. Michael never left the stage. The drummer never left the stage. Keyboard player, bass player, never left the stage. And unfortunately, we had Ted McKenna um, yeah. in the beginning, and poor Ted passed away um, through surgery. It was just horrendous. just killed us. Um, but we carried on, and uh, we, had, we, had the, we had the best time. It was The shows were phenomenal. The crowds loved it. Uh, we we took it to Japan, and that was just a, a, another level. We played Loud Park to like forty five, fifty thousand people. It was wow. just, it was just unbelievable. It was it was just tremendous. And as you went on, the show just got so tight, and everybody was on their game. And I loved it. I just I just loved the opportunity to you know Graham and and and, and uh, Gary like heroes of mine. I mean, I've been singing that stuff. I had to sing that stuff when I was auditioning for Michael to see if we could actually perform that live. But it's not an easy feat. Huge shoes to fill, you know. Um, and then Reading the Rock Vault, um, that was an idea uh, from a gentleman called Simon Napier Bell, who actually managed the the Yardbirds, you know, with Jimmy Page, uh, and also with Jeff, Jeff Beck, the late, you yeah. know. And um, he... Uh, he saw, uh, and then he went on, of course, to manage Wham and George Michael throughout his solo career. And he had the idea of putting together a an all-star band who had recording experience, touring experience, um, and knew what it was to to do shows every night. And so he wanted he wanted to see if it was a workable idea to do a bunch of well-known classic rock songs, classic rock. No Beatles, no Dio, no metal, none of that. 
had to be the classic rock period. Um, and to incorporate that with imagery, with, with a stage production, with backdrops, with videos of actually um, real-time, well, not real-time video, but, uh, but actual video that took place at the time, footage, if we could get hold of it. And then throughout of that, we would do costume changes that would take us through the period, 60s through the 80s. Wow. So we, that's basically was the idea. Everybody had to get into costume and segue through the period so that it looked like, you know, we would go from like flares and bell bottoms. And we never wore wigs or anything like that, but we had the scarves and all of that sort of stuff. And that's what we would do. And um, we did a show that was two hours and 40 minutes in a, in a theater downtown L.A. And as a result of that, we cut a three-minute sizzle that was uh, looked at in Vegas, and we, within a very short, we did it in November, and by January, we were asked to perform um, at the Las Vegas Hilton, which was the old hotel of, of Elvis, God rest Lisa Marie. Um, and so we ended up at the Las Vegas Hilton, and we were there for a year, 14 months, and we moved from there up to the Tropicana and from there over to the Hard Rock. And I believe the show is now at, at uh, Rio. Um, I spent some time there, but I, I stayed in that show for seven years and like 1,500 shows. <laughs> wow. And what songs did you sing, Robin, if you can um, name I a covered, few? I covered some Survivor stuff. I covered mostly the Zeppelin stuff, um, the Free stuff, um, some Hendrix, uh, and then we would incorporate a lot of Leopard and Joby. Of course, we had Hugh McDonald on bass mm -hmm. from Bon Jovi. So we had actual people. And we had Howard, Howard Lees from Heart. Oh, yeah. And, of course, the female singers would take care of, of, of Alone. And then we we did some Pat Benner stuff. We did Stones. We did, yeah, it was like about 30, 36 songs strong. Again, we had to. When we came into Vegas, we still were at two hours, and the casinos went, nobody plays more than 90 minutes. They got to get out of those slot machines. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had to cut so much of the show because we had vignettes with, with DJs, and oh, my God, it was phenomenal. Um, but we had to cut it down to 90 minutes, and consequently, when you do that, you lose a lot, and then the writers have to go back in and really make the storyline still work even though now you've lost a lot of those extras. And we had girls in, dancers in. It was a blast. Absolute blast. Did you, uh, you didn't mention any of these bands, any uh, American Arena Rock, 70 bands, Sticks, Foreigner, REO, anything like that? Uh, we, did, we did REO. We did, um, we did REO. We did no Sticks, but we did Foreigner. Uh, we also did, um, uh, Breakfast in America. Uh, Super Tramp. And Super Tramp, we did that. Um, we did some stuff from the band. Um, and a lot of that stuff was cut after we had to reduce the show from over two hours down to 19 minutes. And sometimes then we, what we would do, we create, not being able to perform the full song, we create medals. Mm -hmm. So we would, we would move through a huge period in like about 30 minutes we would incorporate maybe five, six, seven bands by just, you know, Boston or do all of that sort of stuff, <laughs> tenances, and we would just mill through it. we just hit a line here and there. People would go nuts thinking you were going to play the whole song, <laughs> and then we would quickly move 
but it was really cool the way they did it because because the idea was that musically this would be played note for note like the record and it sounded just like the record and and that was really impressive and that's what people liked and the singers i, I always used to say we were just vehicles for those songs to pass through and we would we would yes it was it was never our interpretation we sang it exactly like the it was performed and it sure. was recorded it's just i would be me singing it somebody else paul Sortino singing it and andrew freeman singing it and and paul Sortino. we had uh um we had uh mickey thomas in from starship for a week we had lou graham in for a week we had uh um who else we had Lynn turner in for a jersey week. boy jersey yeah, boy right? joe yeah, we had Joe in for a week. Um, we had some of the Yes guys in for a week. And and uh, John Anderson was in with us. And we would do this whole stuff. And it was awesome. Well, I know what my uh, YouTube viewing tonight's going to be. I'm going to dig some of these things up. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to let I'm going to let Walt finish this up. I just want to just ask you quickly about Black Swan. Yeah. Hilson and uh, Reb. And um, Matt Star, Mark Star on drums. Matt, uh, Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt this... is with with uh, Ace Frehley. Matt, and he was with Mr. Big also. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us about this. It's it's great heavy stuff. How's this differ? How did it come about? And how does it differ from your new um, solo recently? Stuff? Serafino over at the label called Jeff Pilton and he goes, "Hey, um, uh, can you put uh, a project together uh, and you produce it?" And Jeff called me and he goes, hey, um, I know that you're not going to do that solo record for Serafina like he wanted you to. So I want to ask you, um, are you interested in in singing with Rem Beach? And I went, of course I am. Yeah. And he goes, well, I'm putting a project together. And I said, are you playing bass? And he goes, no, I'm producing. And I went, well, you have to play bass, you know that. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to take a back seat and I'll be supervising and I might get involved with the co-writing. And I went, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so Reb and Jeff started writing and uh, they sent me a bunch of tunes and I came back to Jeff's studio. Reb was there. I think the very first song from the first record from Shake the World I came in with, I think it was Big Disaster, right? And <laughs> Reb was going, are you kidding me, man? We've never worked together before. We write songs and this potentially a brand new project. And the very first song you write is called Big Disaster. Why, how do you think that's going to fly? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it became the second single and a really good single. Um, and we kind of beat up Jeff. Rev and I, we went, dude, you have to play bass. We had other uh, suggested bass players, but we, we weren't, Rev and I weren't going for anybody else. And we insisted that, you know, because Jeff was putting guide guide parts down for the uh, for the purpose of, de of demoing the stuff, which really wasn't a demo. It was just killer. And I went, dude, Jeff was my best man. I don't know if you guys know that. Jeff was my best man at our wedding. Oh, I didn't years, know that. 30 years ago this, this wow. year, right? And uh, so Jeff and I go back a long way. And I said, come on, dude, you have to to play. When he goes, ah, all right then. And he goes, well, I guess it just it sounds right, doesn't it? And I went, it does sound right. And we, 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 we knocked out uh, Shake the World. We had an amazing response to the first record. Um, 
And of course, then the label wants another one. So middle of last year, we knocked out uh, Generation Mind, which got an even bigger response than the first record. And we're going, wow, dude, th these are these are cool tunes. It's powerful, great production, uh, good songwriting, and and uh, you know you have you have a you have the weight of Red Beach and Jeff Pilsen in there. It's it's it's, it's going to be good. It's just yeah. going to be good. And Jeff said, I'm I'm not calling any other singers. You you're going to do this, and that's all that's to it. And he goes, you need to do this because I want your voice on this, and people are going to hear you in a way that they haven't heard you before. And and I went well. I don't know how that is, but I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I just love it. I think it's a great, great, powerful uh, collection of songs and a great project. And I believe, as of maybe about a month ago, that we will actually do a third record. So, what about touring plans for the a live album? This year, Frontiers will um, will be putting on their uh, rock festival. It's a whole weekend of three or four nights or something. In Milan, in Italy, uh, later in the year, and I've already been asked, and we we will use the same band that's on the record, cool. and we will hopefully uh, try to incorporate some Black Swan songs in there. We're hoping Rev will be there with maybe Winger or somebody else. So we're planning to bring the whole thing and incorporate it. And of course, with a rehearsed band, it would be a shame not to keep going with with that after we actually work up all the material. So. And you know, people say, why don't you tour the States? And, and it's right on that note. It's, is, you know, I need a promoter. I need uh, an agent that's going to go, I could sell tickets because you know how it is. You can spend all this money putting a show together. You don't sell tickets. You're not going anywhere. You're not you know, leaving. Graham said that last night. He had that same thing. Cause we yeah. said, we'd love to see the new band in the States. Yeah. He says, you know, it's hard because it it's, it hard. just can't do it in the States. Yeah. It's a it's, shame. It's it's hard. You have to sell tickets because it's not going to work if you don't. It's well, John and I have an idea because we're talking to you, Graham, and we have other guys. We talked to Rich Rick Ventura from Riot a few months ago. We're going to put on a show at some point in time. We're going to bring you all guys together, and we you're going to top your two and a half hour show. You guys are going to do six hours for us. Awesome, awesome. Count me in. Count me in. Well, Robin, we totally disregarded uh, the publicist <laughs> request on keeping this short. I'm going to let Walt say goodbye, but uh, okay. thank you for your time. Stay healthy. Robin, it's been a pleasure. The new the new album, Alive, it's out February 17th on Frontiers. We'll make sure that we have the links to all your socials. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and we hope to have you back on the show again at some point. Thank you, and all the best for this album. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Take care. For those who love it loud, Pantheon Podcast presents Rockin' Pod Weekend. Nashville, March 17th through the 19th. It's a rock convention featuring panels, interviews, podcasts, signing sessions, vinyl, comic books, pop culture, and collectibles. Over 50 celebrity guests, including members of Mr. Big, Tough, Great White, Keel, Winger, Accept, and Twisted Sister. Live concerts including Rare Hair on Friday, Keel Fest 2 on Saturday, and Eric Martin's Big Acoustic on Sunday. Plus a rockin' comedy show featuring Courtney Cronin-Dold, Don Jameson from That Metal Show, and Craig Gass from The Howard Stern Show, and a whole lot more. Full details at rockinpod.com. Rockin' Pod Weekend is presented by Pantheon Podcasts in association with RFK Media, Third Power Amplification, and BobbyDreyer.com. 
Well, last fall, and uh, we had a chance to catch up with Graham Bonnet, and we, we talked about his new album at the time, and he was about to go on tour in the U.K. and Spain with Dead Daisies and some other national acts. Well, he completed that. The holidays came. They're done, and we're excited to catch up with with Graham and his significant other, Bethany Heavenstone. They're in California, and uh, we're going to take a walk down heavy metal memory lane. Hey, guys, welcome back to the States, and welcome back to Metal Mayhem ROC. It's good to be here. Good to be anywhere. Yeah, happy New Year, guys, uh, and, uh, you know, happy belated birthday to you, Graham. I think you had a big milestone birthday recently, correct? Yes, yes, I'm uh, now 75, which is, uh, I was saying to Bethany, in five years, I'm a fucking 80. I, I thought, no, that's all real. How can I be 80? But I will be. I hope I will be. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that that's... Uh, <laughs> I think everybody's really sort of kind of upset silly because of Jeff Beck dying. It's, it's unbelievable, you know. It's sad about that. I didn't know it. I'd met him once uh, when I was playing with the Rainbow. Because he was a big friend of it. Well, obviously he was in the band with him, the uh, Jeff Beck band years ago. And uh, well, ever since the Yardbirds, I remember that year did that solo he did. What was it called? Over. Under sideways down, over, under sideways down. And that guitar sound, I thought, how the hell is that really a guitar or is that a fiddle? What is that? And I watched it on TV. He was playing a telecaster. And I thought, oh my God, if I get a telecaster, I would sound like that. But of course I didn't. But so, so I gave up on that. But um, it's such a sad day for, for everyone that uh, knew him, you know. As I said, I met him one time. Women Wendell played Wembley uh, Arena and he came to the show. And um, I remember Richie Blackmore saying, God, if I'd known he was here, I would be nervous as fuck. He, he didn't know he was there. And uh, we, he was like injured, he was about to the show. Come and said, Hey, uh, Rich, above here's Jeff. But oh, how was my plane tonight? You know, he went through all that thing and he said, Oh, shit, was, were we any good tonight? But of course he was. He's Richie Blackmore. Bastard. <laughs> Hi, name Jeff. Yeah, I socialized with Jeff in New York, uh, London, and LA. Uh, he, I used to live with Steve Lukather, and they used to be very good friends. So we spent a fair amount of time together. And he was a lovely guy, great sense of humor. I have a really funny story about him, but I'm going to save that for the memoir I'm writing. Steve Lukather. Uh, so you, you ran around with uh, Jeff Picaro and uh, Alan Holdsworth. Were you friends with all those guys? Jeff passed away just before Steve and I got together. Okay. Alan Holdsworth, another guitarist that was part of that. I know the name. I uh, Honestly, I have the memory of a goldfish. I, pro- I probably met him. I met so many people through Steve, but I should have written it down, but I didn't. Well, I'll wait for the memoir. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, every now and then I, I think like, because it's not just about, oh, I know famous people. that. I mean, that is interesting, and that is probably why I'm adding the um, salacious rock star stories component to the book, because I think just talking about me isn't all that interesting, but if you throw famous people in there, people might go, ooh, I want to read that, so that's why I'm doing it, but otherwise, I would keep those stories to myself, but I have hilarious rock star stories. I really do. Well, that sounds amazing, and that will be out there to help you support that book whenever that time comes. The last time we talked, I think it was early July or June around that time, 
You were out to promote the new album, Day Out in Nowhere. We had an amazing conversation. We really dug apart the new album. So um, just curious, six, seven months later, how has that album been received in the U.S., globally? And, you know, hitting the road now, were you able to get to showcase any of the material live? It's been received amazingly well. And I actually found a review earlier this week that I showed him. There, no one had a bad thing to say about it. Like, you know, you get those like troll people that say, oh, it sounds like Bad Rainbow or something, you know, stupid comments like that. But pretty much everything I've read has been favorable. But what I love most of all is everyone telling us which their favorite song is. And it's so diverse. There's not one song that everybody chooses. Every song gets chosen. And as far as showcasing it on tour, well, we, we did a posture. But because uh, the tour was sold as a rainbow tour, we did a, a really heavy rainbow set. And because it was UK and Ireland and he's had so many hits there, we had to play, you know, night games and his solo hits as well. When you guys hit the road this year, because I think um, my memory serves me, you were about in the summer, you were about to go over to the UK to do a couple of festival shows. One of them, I think, had Michael Schenker on it. And then you went back, of course, recently, November, December, you hit the UK, and then you ended up in Spain. Um, and I know it was billed as the down-to-earth album. So did you guys play the whole album complete, or were there certain songs maybe that was the first time you've ever played them? Talk about, like, the live show. Well, we did we did the down-to-earth album in its entirety in Japan a few years ago. Because of the way things are recorded, it, sometimes they don't translate live, so he didn't want to do Danger Cell because there was no way the backing vocals would have been and it would just be impossible to do this it was by me saying he's hitting notes that only dolphins can hear you know what i mean and it would have been difficult to to reproduce that and then we both don't like the song no time to lose we just don't like it it's you know it's the most noty baseline ever for one thing super annoying and it's just he called it he said everybody in the band called it a throwaway like no one there was yeah that song I didn't think it was going to go on the album, even, you know. Oh, time to learn it. I mean, it's so kind of silly, and it was, uh, I don't know, Roger Roger wrote the worst of that, and they weren't that great. Uh, but he wrote the rest of the album, Roger Glover wrote fantastic lyrics, I think, you know, on the Down to Earth album. I think he's a really good writer, a great bass player, of course, and a really good, uh, you know, musician. So when we did that, I, I didn't write anything except the melodies, and I didn't realize I was writing the melodies until the album was done and finished. And uh, somebody said to me, uh, you know you're a songwriter? I said, what do you mean I'm a songwriter? What, who made up the melodies and all those tunes? I said, well, I did it. Roger gave me a basic idea. Oh, I'll do it like sort of this way, you know, these notes, and then take it, whatever you want to do with it, take it your way. And so I interpreted it my own way, but I was given an idea, a little idea how to sing it on some of the songs. But a lot of them I just went for it, read the words, I just went for it and, you know, I've lived. And uh, I'm so sorry, I was so pissed off, I didn't realize I was writing a bloody song. I thought I was just a guy in the band who was a singer and hired and that that would be it. You know, but then Rainbow suddenly went on tour and I realized I was in a fucking band. I wanted to go home. (laughs) Oh, that was a good mess me. I've never done that. And I'd never done it before. Suddenly we were playing freaking arenas. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, 10,000 people. You know, it was uh, the most unbelievable experience I've ever had. And it's awesome. The, the, uh, it's funny. I recently came across, uh, I guess, a, a remastered version of Down to Earth, and there was an alternate alternate tracks on it that had 
that were all instrumental without the vocal. And it's kind of cool when you break them apart. And there was a, a couple of weeks ago, I was out doing some Christmas shopping, and I just I couldn't stop listening to the Eyes of the World over and over and over. That song is just badass, man. It's yeah. heavy, and it, it just I'm sure you played that one on this tour, correct? We do. Obviously, that, that's the opening song I used to do with Rainbow. And it's just sad, that beginning, because it's so haunting and powerful. It's like, and then giving it then strains that. It, it's great. I love it. Roger did some great words on that song. I really who was, that. who was in your band this time around? Obviously, you and Beth out there, but was it the uh, Conrado and the, and the guys that played on the new album? No, well, uh, Kyle Hughes played drums live, and he does. He plays on Jester on one song on the record. And then this tour, we didn't take Alessandro, uh, who was the keyboard player on the record. You took him on the last tour, but his touring rig, it, it, it wasn't going to work. We needed somebody who was like throw and go ready. So we hired this guy, Danny Matson, who, a British dude, who I, I really enjoy his company. He's a lot of fun. He's, you know, very gung ho <coughs> and he's a great player. And I, it, you know, it, it was a really good, um, personal match between all of us like none of us were sick of well i'm sure everybody gets sick of me but whatever but i wasn't sick of everyone else and and <laughs> like the, the the you know we split from our band i'm sure you know about that and uh the personality issues with that were just yeah well that's gone now we have something yeah. that's uh, it is like a family now you know we've got these two kids playing with us you know uh father's only 25 how old is danny He's uh, it's like 40. Is he? But he's, he looks like he's 12. Yeah, he looks like he's 29. <laughs> we have these kids on. They're all babies. You know, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Incredible. It's funny because it's literally three generations in the band. Oh, cool. Because the generation is every yeah. 15 years or something. Yeah. And uh, Look, it's so cool, though, to have young people play, uh, it, you know, our drummers. And it's greatly energizing to be, to have, like, I'm not saying Kyle's immature. He's not. In some way, he's more mature than the rest of us. But his youthful exuberance, it's like being on tour with one of my kids. And I love that. I really enjoy it. He's funny. He's a really funny kid. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a whole other so, room because the three generations, you know, Graham and I, you know, we have children. You know, we're older than the others. Kyle and Danny are uh, similar in their age and experiences. And, and they're or not Kyle, Danny and Conrado. And then there's Kyle, who's the young guy who, you know, so... It, yeah. But he's still relatable as an adult. He, he, it, so he's really better, but he always has great ideas. Being the drummer, they was, you know, sort of arranged the song. No, we should do this here. I remember Cozy Powell's the same. No, no, that's too fucking long. Shout, shout out there with the like, Don't do that. You know, do this. You know, take the song this way. And uh, Kyle comes up with, with great ideas sometimes. Because he's a young man. This is a new thing for him. So this new, it's great for us to have a guy who has, you know, uh, sensible ideas, not stupid shit. How about getting back out on the road in general? Like, yeah, I mean, just the whole ritual, you know, and uh, getting back in shape and singing and just getting to know each other again. That, that'll be like refreshing, right? Yeah, well. Well, it was it was challenging. Like, I was so good at packing, at, you know, I, I overpacked on this tour. Um, you know, just being able to get up, make sure you get breakfast, because food is not guaranteed on tour. It really isn't. Um, sleep isn't either. So making sure you have your 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 rig together, you know, like, I, I, 
I was flummoxed on this one. <laughs> I really was. But, and I do everything for him, so he doesn't even have to worry about it. Except soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, because we haven't uh, sort of been out playing for about five years or whatever the hell he was, four years almost. I, I was I was very worried about, am I going to be able to get back into, uh, you know, breathing properly and doing those songs? Oh, this is where I have to take a deep breath there. Re- you know, remembering all the way to sing, all different ways you sing certain songs. Because they don't just come out. You have to remember your technique. And I thought, oh, fuck. I'm not going to be okay. And it was, it came back right. Unbelievable. He was unbelievable. I don't know. <laughs> Normally, you know, there's only a certain amount of break in between tours. So he doesn't have a chance for his voice to get rusty or whatever. But we had, you know, like a three-year break. And, and uh, it was great in July. I was really shocked at how good he was in July. But even better on this tour, it's been, I have to, you know, I, I'm always like kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. It didn't drop. He just killed it. I was kind of hoping when we first started talking before, you know, when he was just in the kid, he had been singing and he sounded it so good. Of course, he stopped as soon as I. Well, you, we yeah. saw it on the uh, YouTube videos. I've checked a lot of them out, man. And it, I mean, you guys look like you're having fun up there. The crowds are into it. Graham, you were nailing it, man. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was, um, you know, impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I sorry, the kids tell me, uh, Kyle, you know, he kicks ass, you know, and it gives me energy. I, I love that. You know, always kind of like, um, yeah, you know, some people about double kit. No, not too much, but it, it's the, I don't, I don't know. I was so, um, surprised almost the way I was excited again. And yeah. because we had these new guys, I think that's what it was. A little bit of excitement and I could do this. I could do this. You know, oh, that's it. You know, can I really give it? Fucking hell. You know, and it came out, I thought, shit. Yeah, yeah it was I, very, I was, I was, I'm going, what's that movie? But, you know, what's her here? Graham, because, you know, I'm not going to name names, but some of the our former bandmates and management really just, you know, chipping away at him. And he was so beat down for so long. And we've had the past couple of years to really build him back up again. And his, including his confidence. And he's just belting it out. And I'm like, oh my God, where have you been? He sounds so good. I'm standing here. He doesn't need a mic. He's been so powerful. Did you rehearse before this tour? And did you do any, um, you know, pre-tour training, physical training? Because let's admit it, three years off the road, you know, you're you're back on the tour and all that. Well, it was very difficult. Um, like in July, Kyle had come over and... We were supposed to have two solid weeks of rehearsal, but it happened to come right when my dad was dying. So that really threw me, you know, I I was not on my game at that point. And then for this one, he came over for a little bit, but what happened? I remember there was something that interrupted uh, the rehearsals right before this one. So we only had a few rehearsals and they went well. We had two rehearsals in London because we'd never played with Danny. None of us had. And that was it. Two rehearsals, and he was nailing it. So, it, you know, it, it there were there were parts that needed a little bit of work, but otherwise, you know, by the end of the tour, he was great. And yeah, rehearsal it's tough when you're in two different places. It sounds like this is a band that you want to stay with too, right? Something bringing you know, sticking with this go forward. These younger guys, maybe you know, if you're going to get out and do another album this year or tour again, sounds like you got your lineup pretty solid. Yes and no. I mean, we love them. We always want to tour with them, but they they have other gigs. They'll take other gigs. And also, 
because we, it's very expensive to fly someone over just to rehearse, um, there may be times that we might have to use people locally if we're not going to Europe or, or uh, England. But yeah, they're definitely first choice. But it really depends what they've got going. And, you know, the core of the band is, you know, established because it always was initially when Graham and I created this, I brought, I was playing with Conrado in another band and I always said to him in that other band, whatever I do, I'm taking you with me, you know, because I just, I love him as a person. He's one of the kindest, smartest, sweetest, funniest guys you could ever meet. So loyal. Um, when I brought him into the band, we just instantly had this family unit and that's what we had kept hoping for with all the other players that, you know, the changes that we've had with, you know, different drummers and guitar players over those course of those years, that wasn't us doing that. That was management. That was their choice. Management. And, and I think, you know, it was, it was a mistake because I think you get yeah. what you need and you stick to it. And that's how you are successful. Um, that's why bands like ACDC and Iron Maiden or whatever, they just stick to what they do and they stick together doing it. Yeah. And that's what, so that's what we are trying to establish now. We're hoping that eventually those two are, you know, will be able to just financially be able to do it and their schedules will be that we can be that strong family unit because I like them. Yeah, I like them as people. So guys, uh, Graham, like, talk about the, the tour mates, right? The Dead Daisies, your old mate, Glenn Hughes, uh, you know, FM. Right, you guys probably have a history back to those guys, Steve Overland. How was it being on the road with old friends of yours? Did you guys interact? And what about your history with these bands back from the, the day? No, no, yeah, actually, we didn't really get together at all. We we did our bit, and then we went, oh, you know, well, because sometimes we were on first, sometimes we we're on second. Yeah, and Dead Daisies were the headliner, obviously. They they run a really tight ship, Dead Daisy. Um, we never met FM before. No, none of the I, I was guys, but we didn't know them at all. They are really good. I was, I've never heard them before. Right? I'm a really, a really, really good band. And I went up to uh, one of the guys. I can't remember who he was. One with the gray hair. And I said to him, "Your band is fucking amazing. Yeah. I love the way you, your harpies are so tight, tight as a drum." And he said to me, "I wish we had songs like yours that were hit songs." And I just thought, "What?" I said, "I don't know about that." Don't you think this song is good or whatever they were doing? We said, no, but your songs, it seems like every one you sing is, you know, uh, memorable, mel you know, melodies are good, blah, 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 etc. Uh, and that they are really cool. But when I agreed with myself, or, you know, you're right. He said, you know, it's just the way it is. And I, I felt a bit the same way about the Dead Daisies because I thought they're tight as hell. They're very, very good. They're all great musicians. But the songs were a bit iffy. Yeah, the the the, the deep purple ones are are the deep for, purple ones were the ones that went down bed. Yeah, you know. You know what's really funny is we socialize with Doug Aldrich. His wife and um, one of my close friends are really tight, so I see him at parties. It's 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 funny. He met him because actually he and Kyle are friends, and that's how they were introduced. But. uh it was, when we saw him, it was like, oh, hey, you know, because we know him from outside of work. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I don't mean to be horrible about that. I, I just know that there's something in that band that is, I mean, it's quite right. They do need 
uh, stronger songs because they're all a bit bluesy and sort of go nowhere. Some of them. I do think that they need, you know, uh, maybe bring an outside writer in to work with them. Um, they are brilliant musicians, yeah. every one of them. Glenn's a Southern California guy. You know, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him in person once with his wife, Gabby. You guys uh, ever run into him down there at the shopping malls or anything like that? No. I haven't seen him for uh, God knows how many years. We did a show thousands of years ago with a uh, singer from Yes. Uh, well, I think it was his name now. What's his name? John Anderson. Him. and uh, Is it still John Anderson? I think it is. He was an acoustic thing as well. Um, and uh, it was me, Glenn, him. Uh, oh God, but a whole bunch of us, and that was God, probably about 30 years ago when we did this show. And uh, when I saw Glenn in the hallway when we did this show, he said to me, What did you say to me? I said, It's been too long. <laughs> that was what he said. He said, Just been too long. Yeah, and he's barely gave me a kiss. That's something. I, I was able to see John this past summer, probably around the time uh, we talked. He did a little theater, and he does this thing where um, he brings out kids from the School of Rock, you know, kids in their teens and early yeah. 20s, and he has a whole ensemble. And the amazing part is these are kids in school learning how to be rock musicians, but they're interchangeable. So whereas you'll see a girl playing bass, three songs later she's singing background, and then she's playing drums. And the smile on this guy's face, it's like the guy's done everything he possibly could in a career, and Graham, I think he's he's even up up older than you. I think he's close to eighty. And another guy, amazing, amazing. You could just see the enthusiasm yeah. of him out there, and he and the smile on his face, and his chops are still all in place. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, it, it does keep you young. There's no doubt about it. You know, you can't be old in this fucking business. You know, you really can't. But it's um, it's the adrenaline rush. You know, as soon as you start singing a wedding, it's like, oh yeah. Give it fucking hell, you know, not to see from where on, you know what I mean? That's what co- Cozy was. It, cozy Power was like, I would turn around to him sometimes go, fucking hell, man. He's, he's driving the song, he's playing in the bloody song. He's listening to everything I sing. If I pull it back a bit, he used to pull back. And if I, I you know what I mean? He had that soul in his drumming. Just, he played, I loved him because he played the song. He didn't just bash his skins, you know. And I think Kyle, Kyle was a little like that too. He has the feel for the song, not just for showing up, you know. And I don't show up with so many, I don't know all that stuff, you know. Enough of the fucking high notes. There's, there's, there's the in-between notes of the important ones to me, you know, anyway. But it, anyway, it's a whole thing. But uh, I haven't seen Glenn since, since then, since you did that show. And it was not very exciting, that thing I see, you remember? It was one night and then we all went home. The six degrees of Graham Bonnick constantly shows up on this show. A few months back, we had Chris Apalitari on the show, and he mentioned how impactful the 88 Stand in Line album was. And he had nothing but kind words for you and just the the whole situation. Can you comment on Chris and how that was exposed in the MTV audience? Yeah, that's uh, the one album. Well, I made two albums with him, actually. But the first one, um, I, I really spent a lot of time on the lyrics and the way I should do melodies and whatever. And uh, I think it's pretty good, uh, Stand In Line album. I had I had a good time with him, but he, I, he just plays too freaking fast. He puts it Slow down, slow down. All the bloody braids on, silver. You know, I mean, I'm, everybody wants to see if he play faster. I remember we did a show with uh, Billy Joel, a huge show in uh, Japan. And uh, Chris was uh, practicing in his dressing room. <laughs> 
And uh, Billy Joel says, how do you kill that fucking billionaire? <laughs> yeah, he, he mentioned that, the festival over in uh, Japan. And Oh, man. Yeah, that was that was a great, that show was amazing. Billy Joel, I, I stood inside the stage and watched everything he did. He's just marvelous, absolutely marvelous. I don't know if you're up to speed on what he does, his, um, his uh, Madison Square Garden residency. Yeah, he does a once every six week show. Uh, I think he's been doing it for about ten years now. He's on yeah. the uh, the house band. But ironically, and I mentioned this to Chris a while back, he's got two of the the Rainbow alumni in his band, his touring band, Chuck Berge on drums, and I think it's David Rosenthal on keyboards. So guys that go back to the Joe Jolin Turner era. So some yeah. more of the connections back to uh, the family tree, right? It is very much so. I think that's the way it's going. Everybody's oh oh, well, now that guy from now. Yeah, everybody knows everybody else, and uh, suddenly you find out one of your you know, one of your friends is playing in somebody else's band, and it's amazing. That's um, I think this is all Richie Blackmore's fault. I'm gonna sit right now on him because you know Richie Blackmore. All, everybody loved Richie Blackmore, and all the people like Joe and uh, whomever else played uh, with Richie. It's just oh, it is his whole family, and, uh, sort of friends and stuff like that. But but the um. The thing is, they don't stay together very long, you know. They probably do a couple of weeks playing, and then, as I see it, I'm going to find something else, you know. That's basically what everybody's doing. They won't say one bad. The younger generation is young mercenary. Yeah, they'll go and see. Yeah, I know. Like Ronnie. Ronnie will, yeah, Ronnie will go to this band, this band, this band, until he's really spread himself too thin. But so, Ronnie was uh, really good. What was the show? Was, oh, um, Michael Shanker, wasn't it? Oh, Ronnie Romero. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie Romero, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was it was really good, and I, I went up to him and gave him a hug, and, and he said, oh, my God, it's so good to meet you. I said, it's really good to meet you, you son of a bastard. You know, good to meet you. What a great show. Well done. You know, but he's doing, I think he's doing a little bit too much, but it's up to him. He's making money. I, I, everybody's done that. I've done that. Joel Turner's done that. So you're with another band. I play with a Japanese band in Japan. Blah, 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 blah. With a Finnish band in Finland. You know? So that's the way it goes. It's not like it used to be. It's not like Beatles days where if you were one band and that was it. Rolling Stones, Who, Beatles, Bale, it's all, you know, everybody's running somewhere else. Part of that we've uh, come to find out talking with musicians is the, the remote recording. It makes a hell of a lot easier. You yeah. know, um, people are just sending files left and right. And these are almost yeah. like paper bands where they may not ever even play together. It's, exactly but it's 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 songs by mail you know he's trying to that kind of thing i remember you know working with cozy and uh and john lord and mickey mooney and uh a, a guy playing bass uh, dave marquis who used to play for um joe Namatray, he was our bass player and uh just going in and uh, what about this what about that and mm, you know sort of sitting around standing around and really discussing the song should he do this should he do that graham can he sing a bit higher can he sing a bit lower whatever and it was just, I, I, that's the thing I meant. It was really, you know, like walking into your living room and starting to sing and play it. It's good. Yeah, I was able to catch Ronnie as well. I saw the uh, the Shanker show in Jersey when it hit this way. Actually, it was Pennsylvania. Yeah, he was amazing. Really uh, carried the material yeah. well. I thought of the Assault Attack album. I think they did a couple of tracks there. It was, uh, it was good. And and here's here's a funny one, Graham. Tomorrow, through the whole Frontiers Records connection, we'll be interviewing, again, part of the... The Shaker family tree, Robin McCauley. So mm-hmm. he's got an album coming out called Alive, and it's coming out in yeah. February. And 
just like we did with you guys, we dissected that album and we'll be talking to him tomorrow. So um, maybe that's a good time to talk about this. You guys were together on that Shankerfest tour five, six years ago. Were you guys out on the road together? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, that was so exciting to do that. It was uh, so much fun to sing along with you know, but the original singer from MSG, you know, Gary, Gary Barden. And then obviously uh, Robin and me, I was the laser one, but um, no, I was in between. Sorry. Robin's lovely too. Yeah, Robin was the one. Such a nice guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's quite, I love him. He's it. really, I really like the way he sings. He's yeah. a really great singer. The three of us did, I thought we were pretty good harmonies on that show. Yeah. Uh, we just liked each other. So it was fun that we were relaxed and, okay, you do this bit, you do that bit. And uh, it was a good show altogether. And Michael really was a tight ship. He's very together. He knows what we should all do and made it look like it's just effortless. But of course, it took a lot of work to be effortless. <laughs> Usually is. Usually is. Here's a, here's a funny story, Graham. You talk about the quirkiness of guitar players. So here's my uh, my run-in with Michael Schenker. Here I am in a little town of Pennsylvania. There's not that many people. It's a Monday night. I, I walk back to my car, and it's cold in October. And I'm like, maybe I'll see if Michael comes out. I'll just have a chat with him or Ronnie. And I see this this guy out there waiting with his, with his flying V, and he's waiting to get the sign. So all of a sudden, this car pulls up, and somebody jumps in. And I look at I look at the car, and I said shit man that's michael driving that car so i get a little closer michael's driving a, a very high-end cadillac with florida plates on huh. still at his stage here and you know what he didn't stop he literally waved i did a selfie he didn't even roll the window down the poor guy didn't get his guitar signed and off he went that's see that's standard yeah. he always does that that's a chuck berry thing that's when chuck berry used to do that he had to in the back and brutes did want to know about it so yeah give me a bug hey me i'll go yeah, that's uh, pretty much what he's like. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm a bit like him. Once we've done the show, I want to go. And Michael gets off and as quick as he can, too. You know, otherwise, you do get called by, you know, people who like your music. I hate to call them fans because it's horrible work. But people who like your music are either going to be praising you forever and you'll never get out to the hotel, you know. So I try to miss that, too, but I... I I can't. I always get grabbed by somebody, and then it's a little bit, then it builds and builds and builds. But what a bit, I thought that was a great show. Um, as I said, Michael handled the, you know, had all the uh, coordination really great and uh, put it together thoughtfully. And it was a long time since I played with him because of the, a disaster that happened in England when I was kind of a book. We did the, the Assault Attack album and uh, I was fired. Why? Well, I don't tell why that was studio. I don't know why I was fired. I asked what happened. But you know the story, don't you? Do you know the story? Yeah. I I, I don't. You know it. Right. And he makes me roll up every time. When we did our little road rockumentary like years and years and years ago, I was pretending to interview him. And he's saying, oh, yeah, I have these custom jeans. And, you know, it, it, it fell out. And I said, then what did you do? And his answer, crack me up, he said, I swung it. <laughs> <laughs> On this tour, and I went, when we're doing this tour, I said to uh, somebody, uh, I don't know, probably Gary Bond or somebody, or Maya or Robin, I said, what, what do you think? Should I do a joke and pretend I'm going to take my ticket out uh, with Michael? <laughs> you know, so, what? so I, I, I had a banana. <laughs> Have a banana. I had a banana. I put it down my pants. So when, when Michael was doing his uh, thing, <laughs> he was looking at me, and I, I went like this. I can't zip my pants. And the banana came out. 
you know, it was just like, remember those days? <laughs> but it wasn't about that. Anyway, but uh, it was fun. It was really fun. And, uh, you know, to see Michael actually smile at me instead of sneer at me, he was, uh, it was great. Because I was a stupid bastard and I did the wrong thing at the wrong time and had too much to drink. And I, I deserved uh, the firing, but uh, I was very upset about it because I, I knew I could do it. I'm sober. The next uh, gate was a big kid coming up. We were headlining. Reading. Reading, yeah, Reading Festival. Oh, so, uh, the good old back, days. Better me. Yeah, it, uh, it was tough. Yeah, yeah don't drink anymore. I do it for him. Yeah, I don't drink anymore. Let's stimulate her. Yeah. We're, we're just about ready to get our special guest on, but we really appreciate this conversation. Um, going to turn it over to my daughter, Bella Franco, soon. However, we wanted to just end our conversation and tell us what's in store for you guys for 2023. You guys going to get in the studio? Any more touring planned? What can we expect from the band this year? Uh, hopefully recording, hopefully, but Graham has a couple of irons and other fires that you know, I think we need to get on it because we need to have another record out sooner than later. Yeah, yes. It doesn't happen quickly with us perfectionists. As far as touring goes, I think there's um, festivals in the summer, uh, a Japanese tour, maybe. And then I, I've so, I'm going to use this British word, chuffed about this, an invitation to do, I don't want to give too many details because it's it hasn't, it, it hasn't come to fruition, but... Graham in the past has done projects with this guy who puts bands together, people from different bands, and then takes them on the road, and usually to countries that I've never been to. And this time he asked me to play bass. So, oh, congratulations. Yeah. So, it'd just be fun to do something different uh, and to do it with my best friend, you know? That's nice. That's nice. We, we, we really miss seeing you guys in the States, though, but. It is, and that is, and we'll catch up with you guys on the road at some point in time. All uh, right, yeah. Yeah, we want to play here, obviously, more. It'd be nice just to play it all. Get arrested here. We want to play here. This is our country. We want to play here. Yeah. It's just, so it's it's just start, different you know. here. The touring landscape's just different. It is. It is. Yeah. So uh, is our guest ready to come and make her debut on Metal Mayhem? Our guest is ready to get on. I'm going to take the headsets off and exit, and she's going to take over and has a bunch of questions for Beth. Graham, I would love for you to stay on and listen. Yeah, I'll watch and listen. Yeah. I got it. This is, uh, is uh, introducing heavy metal Bella Franco, eight years old. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Love that. That's it. There she is. Hello. Hi, darling. Hi. Aw. Yes, Beth will be. Yeah. Beth, nice to meet you. It's lovely to meet you, too. How did you decide to become a musician, and how old were you when you started? Okay, well, that's uh, that's a great question, because I did start a bit later. So, I've always loved music. I had no idea that I had any ability to play music. So, in my early 20s, I had a boyfriend that was a bass player, and when he moved out, he, he owed me quite a bit of money, so he left me a bass guitar. <laughs> which I started noodling with, even though it, his it's a right-handed guitar. I'm actually left-handed. But I started playing it, and I'm like, I think I can actually do this. And that's really how it started for me. I had my, I didn't join my first band until I was 28 years old. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> You're cool. 
Can you tell me who some of your inspirations were growing up? Musically? Well, I have older siblings, so I was, um, I grew up listening to Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and Cream and uh, Rolling Stones. And so I loved all of those bands. And so I've always been like a classic rock lover, but I also loved soul hits of the, like the seventies, all those soul hits. I loved that. My parents listened to jazz and big band and swing. So I had lots of influences, but I would say, Oof, my number one band as a kid, probably the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin. I know the Rolling Stones. You know, it's great. I got to meet Mick Jagger later on in life, and it, that was fabulous. I, I mean, I met a bunch of the Stones, and I met Led Zeppelin, too, but I got to spend good quality time with him, and it was cool. He's a cool guy, super smart. Mm-hmm. What is the best part about playing in the band with Graham. Well, Graham's my best friend. So the best part is I get to make music with the person I love the most. You know, we, we have, we've built this from scratch and it's been beautiful to watch it develop. And I've learned so much from him. I'm in awe of him as a music. He's a great, as a musician, he's, he's just fantastic. He plays bass too. And he plays guitar. He's an amazing writer. I can't sing his praise is enough, but going on the road is super fun. That's the best part. One, do you like any other of the new young female rock bands such as Hailstorm? You know, I've heard that Hailstorm was amazing, but I've never actually heard them. But I've heard she's an incredible musician. You know, I'm one of those people that have never thought that girls couldn't do it. Do you know what I mean? So I've always just loved female musicians if they're really good if i like what they're doing it's not because they're a girl it's just they're good girls can do anything boys can do in fact we can do things that boys can't do no (laughs) and i think the bass guitar is a very feminine instrument like i'm the mom in the band i keep everybody together it's the heart of the band it's a very it's a feminine instrument do you play anything um i did a play like a few days ago. Oh, you did? A, you acted in a play? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that that's not my thing. I'm not a good actress. But are you, do you play any instruments? No. Not yet. Uh, you got signed. I predict you're going to be a bass player. You could do this. <laughs> if I could do it, you can. You're awesome. Bye. Thanks for meeting me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, bye-bye, sweetheart. Hopefully again. Yes. See you when you're nine. <laughs> oh, she's great. Thank you, guys. That was she was looking forward to this all week. So she's a very inquisitive little girl. I spent three days over at the at Lance's house um, in the fall, what? and I brought some of the equipment down, and we were doing some pre-production stuff. And she was so inquisitive, looking at the microphones, wanted to wear the headphones. Yeah. And it's such a great age. I really yeah. miss, you know, I, I have a, my daughter's 21. There's nothing babyish or little girlish about her anymore. But, and I shouldn't say, but she got fired from her first job the other day. And she called me in tears. <laughs> and she was so hurt. More than anything, it was like an insult. And she she cried. She goes, "Mom, I need you." And I just to hear her say that, it I was so sad for her, but I was so happy that she still needs me. You know, 
I miss like I, Bella reminds me of my daughter at her age, you know, just little bundle of energy, so smart, you know, and she looks like her. And she's, you know what, she's the uh, she's the only girl. Like we have three older boys, so she's the youngest child and the only girl. So she comes in with a whole different uh, pedigree in her sure. household. It's it's quite awesome. Before we wrap this up, Graham, I got to finish one story for you. Is uh, when you mentioned that when you do the shows, you tend to get off and get out of there. Well, you see the the poster behind me. <laughs> you did that just to me. I had Conrado and Beth sign the poster. And I looked around, and Graham was nowhere to be found. So I have an incomplete poster on my wall, buddy. You owe me one. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to send it to us, and I'll get him to sign it and send it back to you? Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll get your address on my screen. That would be funny. I can see Beth made on Ping Con and Conrad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, guys. I'm going to say goodbye. And um, Walt's a huge fan. He... Um, He's been with me a couple years now, and he's uh, he gets excited when we do stuff like this. So thank you. Thank you for entertaining uh, Bella, and we appreciate it. We'll see you guys. I, I feel like we're we're friends now, and it, it comes natural, and, and I hope we keep in touch and get you back on to talk music and life. All right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.